Welcome to Regold's Dance Life Podcast for dance teachers and dance studio owners who have a passion for the art of dance. Hello and welcome to Regold's Dance Life Podcast. My name is Stacey Morgan and I'm so thrilled to be joined by the fabulous Regold. Good morning, Re. Uh, good morning, Stacey, and hello to all of our listeners. Today's episode is brought to you by IDEA, the International Dance Entrepreneurs Association. I've been a member of IDEA for five years now. Gosh, that time has gone fast. And IDEA is such an incredible resource for dance studio owners um, to be able to tap into a like-minded group of incredible people who are also running dance studios. You know, they're in the same boat as you. They understand the struggles that you're going through as a dance studio owner. And if you're not a member of IDEA, I highly suggest you um, get on board. You can find out more at IDEA dance.org awesome and today Ree, we're talking about our dances in the studio because for so many of us when we're running our studios we don't have a lot of time to think about the development of our students you know we think about whether or not their legs are stretched behind them in arabesque we think about how many pirouettes they're doing and we think about you know who's turning up to class and who's not turning up to class But I think a really important part of what we do as dance studio owners and dance teachers is being a mentor and being that teacher, that leader, that person that they look up to in the studio. And so today I thought we could spend a little bit of time talking about, you know, our dancers, not just as dancers, but our dancers as humans. I'm into that, my friend. Uh, Funny that you should mention it. Today I had a seminar and that was for IDEA members with a gentleman, uh, his name is Joshua Boyd. He's a licensed professional counselor. He specializes in children's, teens, young adults, but he's also a gymnast. He has grown in dance. Uh, he's currently a high level gymnastics coach, acro skills teacher for dancers. And he talked about some deep stuff going on with our students. I, and I'd love to talk to our viewers about it. Um, it's more about, and I would like to start off by saying to everybody listening, no, we were not trained in what we're about to discuss or the word I'm about to use in mental health issues. Mm. But I believe that since the pandemic and our coming back to life in the dance world, we have lots of students who are dealing with mental health issues. Mm. And they're coming out sometimes in our classrooms, in my discussions with teachers, they're often saying, wow, this kid who was so into it prior to the pandemic is no longer into it, or a little correction gets a huge emotional response. Mm. And the reality of it isn't that something's happening in that hour or two in that dance class this is going on mentally in the head and heart and soul of our dancers. And it is a reaction to it. That behavior is a reaction to it. So we have to be a little more understanding. Okay, I went on a roll there. Go ahead, hit me up. (laughs) 
No, I was just thinking while you were talking about, you know, that big emotional response and, and I see it so much with, with my students in that, you know, the big emotional response happens and we have to be a little bit grateful for that as dance studio owners and dance teachers that the child feels safe enough in our space for that to be the place where they can have the emotional reaction because often I feel like kids are holding on to, you know, everything that's going on, the pressure that they feel from school, from their parents, the pandemic, all of the things. And if they are holding on to all of it so tightly and they come to dance where they feel like it's their their second home, where they feel like they can trust their teachers and they have that big emotional explosion. Yes, we are not, you know, we're not really qualified to, to handle it, but it is going to be something that we have to handle and we should be grateful for that opportunity because it means that the kids feel comfortable in our space, in the, in the space, in the culture that we've created in our studio. And you bring up something that was so important in today's session, which is creating the culture and creating a classroom where our dancers do feel comfortable. Mm. And that may be where they're accepted with their emotional, I don't want to say issues, but what's going on in their lives to be accepted that way. Uh, this, This psychologist or counselor, he said that he had a student who wasn't working really hard and was sitting down a lot. And he went up to the student and instead of saying, I want you to get back to work, he said, what are you thinking right now? What are you feeling? And she said to him, this is my comfortable place. Mm. This is where I feel like I can be me. Now, he was not reading that from that child at all. He was reading disinterested. Mm. What's up with this kid? And he said he realized at that point that he was giving that child what she needed, which was the safe space. Mm. How she was choosing to handle it or not handle it didn't matter to him at that point. He just felt like, okay, she's being totally honest with me. She feels comfortable in this safe space. Now it's up to me to get her back up and moving. Mm. And how many of our teachers in our studios would have taken that sitting down as a sign of disrespect, as a sign of, you know, you're not working hard enough, a sign of laziness, you know, get up and, you know, show me the respect of doing the combination that I've just taught you. I'm your dance teacher. I know there are, you know, at least on my team, we have this discussion a lot that often we will take, um, you know, the the verbal and nonverbal communication that our kids give us, especially the teenagers, right? We, we take that as, you know, a personal attack on us or on our teaching ability when actually we need to flip that around and, and ask, you know, what's, what's your day, what's your day been like? What's happening for you? What's going on with you right now? Because you can get that reaction and you can get that insight. And if a dancer feels comfortable enough to, to, 
express exactly how they're feeling in your class, then that's a that's a huge sign of respect for you as a teacher. Whereas you you may have read it originally as you know a massive sign of disrespect. It is a truth. Um, I'm going off topic, but I'm going to say this story really fast. Once I went and spoke. And there was this woman and I worked, there were probably 50 people in the room. There was this woman, she would not smile. She did not (laughs) react to what I was saying. So, you know, most everybody knows if they have a student in class, you work harder to get that person to react. Okay. So I'm sweating. (laughs) And I I never (laughs) figured it out. Okay. But I felt like I couldn't win her over. They say to me, we're giving you, one of our members is giving you a ride to the airport. It was that woman. She got in the car and she said, you changed my life today. What a great moment, Ray. I was like, okay. Like, first, I couldn't believe she was the one giving me the ride to the airport. And then second off, we get in the car and I was getting, and I'll call her my student. For that day, I was getting a totally different read from mm. that student than, than what was really happening in that room. And that changed me that day. Like, I still work hard to win them over. But at the same time, I say, well, that's that's a part of who they are. Like, it's they're gaining as much as everyone else. Mm. Their reaction may be different, which which is what is happening with our dancers. Some of our dancers have it together and some of our dancers don't have it together and they're in the same classroom. So we also have to balance how far do we go with this, I'll call it more communication about the real life Mm. and balance that with, well, these kids came here to learn how to dance and there isn't an answer. Yeah. And it changes each week, right? Okay. I would say that is true. It changes each week. And we, we struggle with this as a team. Um, I have members of my teaching faculty who are very passionate about every aspect of the curriculum being covered, every lesson. And then you have the other you know, the side, the other side, the pendulum swings too, which is me, which is like, make it all lovey-dovey. Like <laughs> I want to check on every student and make sure everyone's okay. And, you know, it doesn't matter if we don't get to the pirouettes, but it does. I'm also the studio owner. I can't have the emails coming in saying you haven't taught my child how to dance and that's what I'm paying you for. And so we talk about it a lot in, in our team meetings about how we can balance this really delicate balance of looking after the kids' physical well-being, but also their emotional and their social well-being as well in the classroom. Yes, and it is a balance. Um, I want to share with you some stats for our listeners. These are stats that were presented today, and I thought that they, they were really interesting. And just uh, information for us to know about our field. Now, I'm going to assume that this research was done with older dancers, but I believe it was you and I looked earlier. Was it contemporary dancers? Dance students, yes. Contemporary yeah, so these are not dance professionals students. who are working in companies. These are these are people who are still learning. 
44.6% of them reported having a mental health issue. 29, oh, which those mental health issues range from general anxiety, stress due to external factors, and constant tiredness were the most, co were the most commonly reported issues. 29.2% reported a mental health issue that is most their most severe health problem. 11.5 reported a mental health issue leading to a reduction in performance or training volume. So according to Joshua's presentation, the implication is we can't expect students to behave or think the way that they did years prior. Mm. And, you know, dance what? teachers can see that, that change, that shift that's happened not just since the pandemic, but over the last, you know, 10, 20 years, we we sometimes do have teachers in our studio who expect the kids to behave and, and think exactly as they did when they were a dance student. But that's not really the reality that we live in. No. But I I feel like knowing this as a dance educator, as a person who, whether it's children or adults I'm dealing with, who have a passion for dance, knowing this about them has implications on the way that I teach mm. or the way that I structure a class. Mm. Yes. Yes, 100%. And that 44.6% percentage, like that's nearly half of your class. If, mm. if we're looking, you know, if you're looking out into the room and you've got, you know, five lines of five and you can split it down the middle almost and, and say, okay, it's, it's not just the one kid that's in the corner or the one kid that's sitting down that we really have to be conscious of. We have to make sure that. Good point. It's, it's yes, some of them are not acting out their reaction may be different. It might be a lack of enthusiasm, uh, overwhelming look of depression. Uh, there can be other things that are happening within our classroom other than someone disrupting. Mm. And I, sure. I, you know, the students that I'm thinking of as well, uh, often my students who tried the, the hardest in the class, they're often the perfectionist students. And I don't see their meltdown in, in terms of they stop what they're doing and go and sit in the corner. Their meltdown comes when they fall out of the pirouette or when they, you know, fall to the ground and, and or they get to the end of the routine and it hasn't been to the high standard that they have in their mind of what it needs to look like. And then, and then I see the emotional reaction from them. It's not always those disengaged students that are, that are having those anxieties, often the anxieties can also come from the kids who are, who are working really hard in your class, but who are disappointed with themselves at, at, at how, you know, how they're performing or, or how, how their technique is improving. Okay. I'm going to go deeper there. Are they disappointed in themselves because they really believe they're disappointing us? Mm. And if, if they are, how do we fix that? 
where, and the, we're not going to come up with the definitive answer in this talk, but where we know that our words could either make them, uh, what, how do I want to say? I didn't want, I don't want to say confident. will make them uh, feel good about themselves at the same time that we want them to improve. And what is that balance? Mm. I'm so glad you said that we're not going to come up with the answer now because I thought you were throwing to me for the answer, and I was like, well, I think I'm a bit out of my out of my comfort zone. But the thing is, I guess the importance of these conversations with your team and with your faculty, you know, we often we we make time for the conversations about you know what costume the eight year olds are going to wear in the recital, but we often don't make time for the conversations like this, and this is important to talk about in your classrooms. And with our our faculty. Yes. Yeah. And the people who are uh, also our administrative staff. Because we're we're talking about what's going on in kids' heads. There's a lot going on in the parents' heads, in Mm -hmm. the community, our school's communities' heads. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, there needs to be a more more awareness uh, in our studios of these issues. Yep. So uh, here's a factoid that I just love because it backs up. I think you and I were talking about it earlier. It backs up something that I've been saying for a long time. This was a part of the presentation. It was a bullet point called motivational climate matters. What is your studio's focus? So motivational climate matters means the vibe we create, the reason a child comes to our studio to dance. What's our goal for them? So there's two descriptions here. One is being performance orientated. And in parentheses, it says comparing to others, ego orientated winning. And that leads to maladaptive neurotic perfectionism. Now that's a big word. Mm -hmm. Anxiety and concentration disruptions. Where, and I just love the two words, Mastery orientated means within our climate, we're mastering skills, giving effort, self-improvement, and focus on learning. And what is the result? It leads to healthier views on difficulties, more adaptive strategies, and a higher level of satisfaction in dance. Mm. And I hope the listeners are kind of thinking about their studio type and what the culture is that they're building within their studio. Is it performance orientated or is it mastery orientated? And by performance orientated, it doesn't mean that if you do dance competitions or exams that that's not a good thing. It just kind of means that our approach to it 
is not about the ultimate goal being that they're the best, but that they're mastering something. That they're they're healthier because they're becoming better. They don't have to win or be the best. That's what this mastery part. Mm. Uh, that's what part of this stands out to me so much because we can have great dancers and still be orientated that it's about mastery. And you can still win every dance competition in the land and still be a mastery orientated studio. I think that's important too, but it's about the language that's used in the classroom about what that win means. Does it, does it mean it's, you know, the be all and end all that winning is the most important thing and it's the reason that we have to work so hard in the dance studio or is the reason we're working hard in the dance studio because we want, we want to master the skills and we want to work as a team and we want to do our best. And is that part of what's feeding into this, uh, the issues with the kids right now? Is it that maybe prior to the pandemic, they had the attitude that they were striving to be the best? And now they have the attitude that they want to survive. <laughs> okay, they want yeah. they will like a lot of us do. <laughs> yeah, and that maybe that focus needs to shift a little in in our language mm. and in our vibe that we put out in our classroom. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here goes. I want to get this in before we get to the end of our podcast, I don't know how, how far into this we are, but this made me think about us, the dance teacher, the people. This was in reference to kids, mm -hmm. but it made me think and I wanna share it. So human first, dancer second, I'm gonna start with that. A 2014 study found that dancers who saw being a dancer as their identity presented issues of concern, while dancers who had a harmonious passion for dance, dance being what they do, not who they are, were healthier. So far, so good. Mm. Dance as an identity leads to higher levels of maladaptive perfectionism, more disordered eating attitudes, higher anxiety, lower self-esteem, and a higher need for approval. Dancers who are humans first and dancers second had higher self-esteem, more self-confidence, better coping skills, and less body image. Mm. And I bet those dancers who were humans first and dancers second, when they got injured, didn't have their whole world fall apart. No. Because I've, no. you know, the amount of times I've seen that happen to my students or to my peers, that when something happens and they can no, no, no longer dance, it's not just the dance that goes away. It's like they lose part of themselves because they've been using dance as their identity. 
So uh, what's your opinion when I say, I think a lot of us dance teachers, the adults in the dance community might have dance as an identity. Or our studio as our identity. Yes, 100%. And I think there's different times in my life, Ree, where where that's been really strong. Like I think back to 15-year-old me and dance was my entire world. Like dance is life. Like football is life. Do you watch Ted Lasso? Have you watched Ted Lasso yet, Ree? I know I've been bugging you about it for months. I have heard of him. I have not had the opportunity. <laughs> There's watch. a character in Ted Lasso that says football is life. Denny Ra, Ra, Hoss, Ra Yoss. And he's so wonderful because he lives and breathes soccer. And I think that was me as a 15-year-old. I lived dance. I breathed dance. I would, you know, I'd be at the studio every moment that I could possibly be. And so I think uh, in those teenage years, I definitely fell into that category of, of being a perfectionist and my anxiety being based around when I could get to dance and how well I was going to dance and what mark I got in my ballet exam and, and all of that. But I think as I have become older and I moved away from the dance studio, I think it became less so. But then when I started my studio, I think I went back into that with you know the dance studio being part of my identity and who was I if I wasn't Miss Stacy. But I again, I think I've kind of moved away from that a little bit. I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a journey. What about you, Ray? I I would say that it is a bit of a journey. I, I actually uh I would have answered before you gave that answer, if you had asked me then, I would have said, yes, I think I'm guilty of this. Mm. And that that is why I like this so much because I'd like to work on that part. Mm. But you're right about certain times in your life when it becomes your identity and certain times when it's not. And I hadn't thought about it that way. Because I feel like right now, coming back, our field, dance studio owners and teachers, especially owners, have had to work harder than ever before. So whether they meant it to be their identity or not, it has become that. Yeah, it had to be. Right? Yeah. Like, like, okay, okay. Yeah. It's interesting. Oh, it certainly is. And I think when we think about our classrooms and the kids that we see in our classrooms, we need to not just be talking to them as dancers. We need to be talking and communicating with them as humans first. If we role model that for them, asking them about their day, about their pet, about their school assignment, not just about, you know, did you do your your metatarsal exercises last night? Like thinking about them holistically as a human, I think if we role model that in our classrooms, then our, then our students will see that they are, you know, humans first and dancers second, and then hopefully we'll have less of that perfectionism and that that anxiety that, that comes around being you know, the best dancer that they can be. We want them to be the best person they can be. And that, listen, uh, if you build confidence in them as a person, I believe that opens the door for them to become the best dancer that they can be. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. 
completely agree. The mastery to teaching isn't how good a teacher you are technically or the skills you know to get a, a dancer to execute something. It is getting the dancer to want to be good. Mm. That's a true master when it comes to being a teacher. People mess that up. Mm. It's, it's like you see a, a studio owner, a teacher, and they consistently produce great dancers for 30, 40 years at a time. And the reason that there's a consistency there is because they have strategized within their teaching method, within their skills for their classroom to have their children believe that they can be good. Mm. And therefore, then the technique works. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can feel that passion... Yes. And they're willing to do it again and again and again to improve the pirouette or to improve the the elevation or whatever it is in the dance studio. If the passion is there and they believe they can do it, that's a great recipe. Yeah, I'm with you. That's why I'm into learning as much about mental health as I can because – I feel as though if we're going to master our field as educators, that in order to be really good at that, we have to understand why our dancers do what they do, the struggles that they face at whatever age that they're becoming, puberty brings on things. And I don't know that we are trained in that area, but... I do believe now it's going to be important for the future. We're more than just dance teachers. Definitely. We definitely are. I think that's a session for the conference, Ray. Not just sessions on how to be a great teacher, but sessions on how to get the best out of your students, how to make them mm. feel like they can be the very best version of themselves in and outside of the dance classroom. I'm with you. I will put that on the list of sessions. <laughs> and I am heading to the Dance Life Teacher Conference next year with some other Australians, which I'm super excited about. So you are bringing a group, right? I am. Uh, I, I am. Okay, not, Australian not... <laughs> listeners, listen up. Tell us about it. Well, I think it's a great opportunity, Re. And, you know, I come to your conference all the time, but the very first time that I came, I was on my own and it was, it was a bit scary. I was coming to the other side of the world and I didn't know anyone. And, you know, I happened to meet my fabulous friend Dottie in the hallway, you know, the first night and just happened to see, you know, see her and say, are you a dance teacher? can we walk in together tomorrow? And, you know, she said yes, and we've been great friends ever since. But those first moments were really kind of scary. So I thought, you know, maybe there's other Australian, New Zealand, from anywhere in the world, really, people who would love to come to your conference but are a bit scared to walk in the very first time on their own. So I've put together a dance tour that I'm doing that's starting with three fabulous days in New York. We're going to see Broadway shows and do a walking tour of Times Square and um, have a fabulous time in New York. And then we're all going to shuttle bus up 
to the um, conference in Connecticut to see you for three days. And uh, it's going to be such a great learning and um, it's going to be a learning experience and it's also going to be an entertainment experience. We're going to see things and we're going to learn things and it's going to be great. I can't wait. If I know you, Stace, it's going to be one hell of an awesome trip. (laughs) How could somebody learn more about it? Well, if you want to join us, and you can join us from anywhere in the world because the flights aren't included. You get your own flights and you meet us in New York. We're meeting in New York on the Thursday before the conference starts, Ray. And so we're having Friday, Saturday, Sunday in New York. And then Sunday night, we're coming up to the conference because the conference starts on the Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And so you can come from anywhere in the world. And if you want to join us, you can find out more at simplystacymorgan.com. Awesome. This was a good talk today, Miss Stace. You know, it's a little deeper, but it's it's important now. I think it's very important. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, everyone. Enjoy the journey. Thank you for joining us for Regold's Dance Life Podcast. Learn more about joining the International Dance Entrepreneurs Association, the Dance Life Teacher Conference, and the Dance Life Retreat Center at regold.com or follow Regold's Dance Life on Facebook. Enjoy the journey. You've been listening to another Morgan Media production. 